Hi, my name is Sonia Takao. I'm the founder of Dingo Culture to create awareness of the Aboriginal perspective of the cultural importance of the dingo to First Nations people here in Australia. And I'm on the podcast, Never Just a Dog. So am I allowed to call you the dingo lady? <laughs> Actually, you know, it, it, it's um, I'm very humbled by that name. I, You just, you know, you get into something that you're passionate about and it, it's an honour. So, yeah, it's fine, John. So your dad's one of the oldest elders of your people. Is it the durable people? Please forgive me for my pronunciation. No, you were close. So if you think of, and this is coming from the linguistics perspective, if you think of the double R like a, um, you roll the tip of the tongue and. So I'd say to people, to say our tribal name, say it like a double T or a double D. It's the double R in our alphabet system for our language. If you looked at it from the um, linguistics perspective, is like the Spanish with their double R. It has that tip of the tongue up to the roof of the mouth and the trrr. So it's jittable. And that is your people, the rainforest jittable people? That's correct, yes. Do your people originate from the north of Queensland? Yeah, so we are in far north Queensland. So we would probably go from, so there's there's top Jinnabal people and bottom Jinnabal people. And when I say that, if you were to look at north Queensland geographically, we're talking about the Atherton Tablelands Plateau up in the mountainous re- regions where the township of Ravensoe and Herbiton, and then you come along down to the coastline uh, around the Tully area. And so we are coastal Jinnabal people. So if you were to classify us linguistically or, or culturally, we would be called Jub and Butter Jinnabal people, so coastal plains Jinnabal rainforest Aboriginal people. I do want to delve right into your work with dingo dingo culture, but I am fascinated by dream time. What is dream time? It's a good question to tell you the truth, John, because dreaming to me is a Western terminology. You'll probably find that with over the 240 different Aboriginal tribal groups on the landmass of Australia, we all have a different saying for what that word is. That was generalised by Western culture. We call it, um, in my language, it's called Jujaba. So it's it's our creation time and, and how we believe things came about and were created, which align with, and that is the stories from the land that include everything that lives in the land. We believe that we, we come from the land. When we die, we go back to the land, whether it be in the form of our totem, animal totems or a plant totem. 
you actually take on the spiritual essence of that particular animal and its and its spirit. So yeah, the dreaming or the jujuba for me would be how it, how it all came about for us and why why we're here. So talking about totems, is that a Western term or do you have your own word for what a totem is? I've been taught, um, and there could be, you have to understand when it comes to Aboriginal culture in this in this country, there's over 240 different Aboriginal tribal groups. So, you know, the land's different, the language is different, and the culture is different. That's how, that's what it's like. You can't just talk about Aboriginal culture. You have to talk about it from a local perspective because we're all different. It would be like Germany and England. Germany doesn't speak for England and England doesn't speak for Germany because, number one, the land's different, the language is different, and the culture's different. And so for us here in Australia, um, as First Nations people, that's exactly how it is. We don't speak for other Aboriginal groups. It's a total disrespect when we do that. So I can talk to you today, John, as a Jitterbol Rainforest Aboriginal person, um, knowing that I have the, the authority from my elder and from my cultural and knowledgeable people within our family. I can talk about the dingo and, and when you know your culture, you know what you can tell people and you know what you're not allowed to share with people when it comes to our culture. So. That word totem, yes, okay, it is a Western term and every culture, every different tribe in Australia might have a different term or word for the word totem. I've been taught that it's Nyalbay in my language and that when we form that relationship with that Nyalbay, that, that animal or that plant or whatever being it may be, it's the very spiritual essence of that particular animal. So when we die, we have a belief system that we go back to the, the spirit essence of that animal. Going back to the dingo, now I'm going to try, is it gunner butter? You did very well, gunny butter. Yes, you did well. Tell me about the importance to your people. So the dingo story, we have our own dingo story here. So I, the moral of our dingo story is between the townships of Innisfail and Ingham in far north Queensland here, there's no kangaroos. And the reason why there's no kangaroos is because our story says that the dingoes traced them from up the top of the tablelands along the coast down here to where I live in the Tully area, down to Ingham further south of me, and then out west from Ingham. And the moral of that story is just that that's why there's, you won't see any kangaroos in between the townships of Innisfail and Ingham, and it's true. <laughs> so our dreaming stories or our um, creation stories, they served a purpose for our young ones. That was our young people's education system. That's how we taught the kids the importance of animals because they know, you know, there's no kangaroos 
in the area because of that story, but they also know the importance of the dingo, that we need it there to help find water and food sources for us. It was also, they were also very highly, they're culturally important in the sense that whoever has that dingo totem in their kinship system, so when they die, they go back to that particular animal. And that's why I've always said when I started this is I will never hurt a dingo. It's culturally inappropriate for me to even think of killing a dingo because every time I see a dingo out in the wild, that could be my grandparents, that could be one of my aunts or uncles or my brother or my sister because of the kinship system. So, for example, I have a first cousin in our Aboriginal way. He is my older brother and he is the black and tan dingo in our dingo story and his younger brother who we lost many years ago was the gold dingo from our dingo story. What would be the effect on yourself and your family and your people if the dingo became extinct? The dingo forms part of one's identity as an Aboriginal person. So keep reiterating the importance of totems. Once the last dingo is killed in this country, and I hope, oh God, you know, I hope that never happens, John. I hope that we can find some way for farmers, for the livestock industry, for Aboriginal people and conservation to all work together to coexist with this animal because when the last dingo dies in this country whatever aboriginal group or family identify with that animal they can't carry on the the, the transmission of knowledge of that animal culturally because it's no longer there so it's an identity issue which is really important for us as aboriginal people our connection to the land should be for quite a very, very long time. And I was actually thinking about this the other day. When we care for country, it's a holistic approach. It's everything. So, for example, if a farmer down the road goes and cuts down some trees uh, because he needs to make way for a certain crop, but then realise, oh, well, maybe the soil's not right there, so... I'm going to give back to the land and put a reveg project there. You can't just think about the land in that sense. You've got to think about everything within the land that connects in that area. And that's what Aboriginal people do. When we're out on country, this particular plant here, if I take it out of the ecosystem, what, how is it going to impact all other living things that rely on this particular plant? So it's a very strong, holistic approach. Aboriginal thinking is holistic. And two really important things with Aboriginal society, our relationship with people and definitely our relationship with the environment is what makes us who we are. There's a a strong majority of Aboriginal people that have a lot of knowledge that, you know, a lot of people could learn from. Because our bloodline 
and our ancestral line has been in this country for so long. So look to us, work with us and learn from us. And I think, you know, environmentally, we'd probably be, better, be in a better, better place. When chatting to your dad, how did he describe finding food in the rainforest and also hunting in the rainforest? Our culture and the food that we, we eat from the rainforest, everything was taught to us by observing the natural environment, and that includes the birds and the animals. And, and I asked my dad about that. To hunt prey in the bush, you've got to take many things into account. You've got to take wind, you know, because if your prey standing out in, in grass fields, their sense of smell and hearing is it is on in, in, immaculate. So as, a, as someone who's hunting, you need to be smarter than your prey. And who, who taught us to be smart when hunting? The dingoes. You don't hunt upwind from your prey, you hunt downwind because your smell, if the wind's blowing in the direction of your, of your prey, then they're going to smell it, they're going to get scared and they're going to run away. So it's just little things like that, John, that people forget to think about when it comes to getting a simple meal. That's what we learned from the dingo. We learned how to hunt with them and we learned from them. So what's going to happen in the future, Sonia? Where do you see this heading and where do you see the future for the dingo? In, in regards to the dingo debate, Aboriginal people have not been included in that debate. Out of all the animals that are very strong in Aboriginal society. One would be the rainbow serpent and the other one would be the dingo. They're the two most highly culturally significant totem animals, First Nations groups across Australia or majority of First Nations groups across Australia. If we can't learn, if we can't bring all of the stakeholders together in this dingo debate, then Australia will be without an apex predator. Whereabouts do you live? Are you still in the rainforest? Yeah, I'm still in Tully. So where I'm sitting in my house at the moment, my, my office, right in front of me is um, this beautiful big mountain rain, full of rainforest, Mount Tyson. So t the township of Tully sits between two beautiful mountains, Mount Tyson and Mount Mackay in far north Queensland here. And in our backyard, is, we hold three-quarters of World Heritage Rainforest in our backyard in the local government area, which is the Cassari Coast Regional Council. That's incredible. Do you go into the rainforest when you can? I know you've got a pretty busy life. All the time. Our tribal group is one of the groups that they help support and manage when it comes to land and sea. So, you know, every opportunity, you know, I get, I love going for a drive. Like to get to the National Park, it's a 30-minute drive inland from Tully West. And then I'm right at the Tully Gorge National Park, just where they do the whitewater rafting. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty biased, but I think I live in a pretty fantastic 
twice here in North Queensland. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you. There's nothing about being biased, but I think it would be pretty incredible. Sandra, I have one last question for you. Your father, as the last surviving oldest elder of your people, what is the greatest life advice that he's given you? We need nature. We can't do without nature or the natural environment. This world is just sped up. We're moving at such a rapid rate of change. When do we slow down and, and stop and think? One of the best advice I got from my dad, and he's always you know, he's always hammered this into us kids growing up. Sonia, when you go out bush, he said, let the bush talk to you. He said, if that means sitting there for hours, he said, then you do it. He said, you will come back a totally different person. And I've taken that advice uh, over the years, John, where, you know, because sometimes, you know, I'm when animal welfare or animal advocacy is a very stressful pathway in life, you're going to get ridiculed, you're going to get called names. You know, you get some really lovely supporters that, that understand what you're trying to to do and why you want to advocate for that particular animal. But you then you get, you know, the idiots that come out of the woodwork. So it's a very stressful pathway to go, this animal advocacy. And when I've had enough, you need to detach from that and you need to go, I need to go bush. And I need to take those words, wise words from my father and let the bush talk to me. You know, to sit there, to smell what's flowering at a certain time of the year, what animals, what birds are singing out, to hear the waterfall or the white water rushing down over the rocks, seeing what life gives off within nature, we should be very thankful that we have such beautiful environments here in the country. So the best way to find out more about dingo culture is via your website? Yes, so I have a, a, a website, www.dingoculture.com. I do have a Facebook following and also Instagram. So, you know, if you want to follow me and keep up to date with where I'm at, yeah, just go to those sites. I'm happy to supply links to anybody. That's awesome, Sonia. This has been such an honour ha having you on today and I've learnt just so much from you, your story and your people's story. Thank you, John. I really thank you for allowing me to, to talk about my passion. You know, every opportunity is an opportunity for the dingo.